Mozart, Schubert, Strauss, Falco. Austria has an unrivaled musical heritage, and my guest this week is part of the pantheon of great Austrian musicians. Harold Closer has been composing music for film for over two decades, but his breakout year was 2004 when he composed the score for Alien vs Predator and The Day After Tomorrow, beginning a long-term collaboration with his friend Roland Emmerich. That evolved into a producing partnership with movies like 10,000 BC, 2012, Independence Day Resurgence and the upcoming Moonfall, amongst others. Harold shares his thoughts on his career to date, the process of composing music for movies, and the fascinating story of how 2012 became a Sony blockbuster. Enjoy. Hi, Harold. Welcome to the pod. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. I always like to start these chats off with a fun sort of creative question just to get the uh, the juices flowing so my question to you is if you found yourself on a desert island and you could have the company of one person from the history of music who would that be well that's a tough one because i i would like to fill a whole table you know with paul mccartney and mozart and bach and john williams and ennio morricone but now to pick one is a very hard choice. But I did watch uh, an eight-hour Beatles documentary, and I was completely taken by looking at eight hours of nothing really happening and being spellbound. So I have to admit at heart that the phenomena that they put into the world is, is just probably the biggest thing that happened the last few hundred years. And often people are put into two categories, aren't they? Are you a McCartney or a Lennon? I have a son whose first name is Lennon. We call him Lenny, and he's a musician. That should kind of answer the question. Okay, but well, I originally wanted to name my son Harrison, like Harry's son, which my then wife said, well, sorry, if a Beatle, it has to be Lennon, and, and then that it became. Yes, I guess you just had to let it be. <laughs> nice one. So growing up in Austria, how big a role did music play in your life? Yeah, back then you were also split into two categories. You know, you were split into either running around the schoolyard with a Rolling Stones LP under your arm or a Beatles LP. And obviously I was, I was of the softy party. The world was so small then, like unbelievable, you know, a trip to to Munich was like a, a journey into an unknown universe. You then moved to the US, and I guess that was a giant cultural leap then, because if Munich was a big day out, then the US must have, as you said, seemed like a, a completely different universe. I, I was in an international sporting school in Austria where I had uh, 
uh, American Californian roommates. And so I took that as an excuse to my parents saying, hey, I'm going to go to California and I'm going to take some classes and I'm going to study some music. But, you know, it was more about, you know, playing around and having fun. And my first visit to California was was this awe-inspiring, like, oh my God, I have arrived one of the first things, you know, that happened to me in a record store that actually John Lennon and Yoko Ono were walking by me in the parking lot. And I was like, oh, my God, it's it was just bigger than life, absolutely bigger than life and never got rid of that dream. And now I'm stuck. And, and specifically then with uh, movie music, how did that come about? How did you end up producing or, or creating music for uh, for movies? My obviously big break uh, was uh, when Roland hired me for the day after tomorrow. And then after that, I got hired for, for Alien versus Predator. And, and you know, when, when the day after tomorrow happened for me, I had a few missed chances earlier on and things I didn't, wasn't able to get. And I always tell my kids, it was probably the moment when I, I, I actually decided to let it go and to not want it too badly that Roland knocked on my door and said, hey, uh, you know, that demo you sent me like a year ago for the Patriot or two years ago, I still regret that we didn't hire you then. And, and, and But I would like to, you know, offer you this movie. And, and that was just like amazing. You mentioned your collaboration with uh, Roland Emmerich, which is a long-term collaboration. Did you click immediately personally and professionally you know the first time you worked together you thought to yourself yeah we're, we're in the same place yeah we were really good friends a long time before we collaborated I was in LA I just had moved here with a teeny weeny you know success in Germany I did a, a, a few movies there very cool movies actually I mean if my scores they're probably they're still one of my favorites too and so I came here and Roland was like in a different universe, but we were still like friends and we never talked much about work because it was just, you know, I was scoring a little movie of the week and he was, you know, he basically was doing Stargate and, 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 and stuff like that. And we were friends first. And it was always a little like more a hesitation of, you know, is this going to sacrifice the friendship? But it was it was not easy. I, I, I remember on one of my birthdays, I was sitting in a cafe on Melrose and, and I, I was scoring a movie, actually a, a British production, a Channel 4 film. It was called A Further Gesture. It later ended up being called The Break. And I received a phone call that I was going to be replaced as a composer on my birthday. And I was like, oh, my God. There was like a newsstand right opposite my, my my table and the Hollywood report was there and it said Roland Emmerich uh, is going to have the biggest opening of all times with Independence Day projected to be the biggest movie of all times. And I was like, oh my God, what a loser am I? Like my friend Roland here is conquering uh, the universe and I'm like, I, I can't even score a little TV film that was probably the low point of my of my time in 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 Los Angeles, and 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 then um, from there on out, obviously, 
when you let things go this is my this is my uh, life theory that i also tell my children hey if you want it too much it's not going to find you and has composing scores changed since you started in the film business back then t- to write a film score was completely different than it is today because today as a film composer you get a perfect soundtrack of uh, film music already edited into the into the movie that you're supposed to score so it's 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 a really different job right now than it used to be before the arrival of the offline editing film music had to be edited together with film on a separate reel it was a huge deal for a film editor to put some music to a film the moment he put music on every cut he made he had to cut on the film strip and then on the music strip and glue it back together and then it would it would be a bad music cut and so as a composer you came to a pretty finished movie that didn't really have music yet and you were like the hero of everybody because you 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 suddenly brought this new energy after these guys were staring at an edit without music for months and months and then you know you come in and you 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 bring some music to the table and it's all, they were like oh my god music is you know here now which obviously today it's it's, it's quite the opposite you you get something and it has pretty much a compilation of the best film music of all times that these guys can just pull out and put there and edit to and and obviously people also fall in love with it and then you deal with well, you know there's already kind of like a perfect music there what do you do with that certainly i don't want to sound negative because it it, it has become a little more reactive obviously you you go you have this piece of you know film that has an an amazing soundtrack already there and you you're just hired to kind of replace that which is a, a whole different a whole different journey it's often said that the music can be a key character in a film is that the way that you approach it yeah i mean absolutely very few people actually get to watch a movie without music right so like one of the main experiences that like friends or somebody who's over to to visit me at work is just if i pull the music fader down in a movie and and they say hey look here is it like and they go like oh my god really is this how like is this how movies sound without music this is unbelievable and i push up the fader and they go like oh my goodness So if if you want to prove how important music is that's all you have to do is like hey look watch this uh, and now watch it again without music or the other way around and 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 then you know that speaks more than a thousand words actually the next movie that you were involved in actually producing and and co-writing for was the movie 2012 which by the way is one of these sort of landmark movies in the Goldman household because I was still working at Sony at the time and uh, we took the kids to a screening of the film and they'd been used to seeing you know big blockbuster films before at home and they were they were still quite young and we went to this screening and they were scared out of their minds no <laughs> and we had to leave which I'm is sorry it was uh, no totally our fault it was our fault being terrible parents 
but uh, <laughs> but it, it is one of those movies that I, I guess will always have a, a particular resonance in our lives. But well, the, it has a particular uh, resonance in, in my house too. Obviously, it paid for the house for starters. <laughs> Very good, yeah. and so fascinating to have moved over, as you say, specifically on the composing side to actually creating these movies that went on to be enormous successes. So w did you draw on some of the experience that you've had, you had before Were some of the skills transferable or was it just something that you felt you always had and it just came to the fore, the ability to pull a whole movie together and bring a, a strong creative point of view? Yeah. I mean, there is definitely a, similarity in structure if you look at a piece of music you know the, the symphony has their like four movements and the a song has the you know three verses and three choruses and usually the the last one is the biggest and the there, there is an absolute uh, uh, you know similarity in it I, to this day i can you know, go into a scene or something. And then and when it comes to music, you kind of start suddenly feeling, oh, this scene is, is too long. The music wants me to do something now. I can't repeat this thing again or sustain longer and longer. So the music sometimes tells me, oh, and then obviously the beauty it was my work right now. I go like, press pause, say, hey, guys. <laughs> We need to cut this a little shorter here, and 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 this is that's that's the luxury I'm I'm living now, which is amazing. How how do you choose the projects that you decide to to go ahead with? They usually choose you. I remember that idea, like you know, that idea about the, the Mayan calendar, and you know that it ends in 2012. And we always had this idea that the Noah's Ark story, the Ark, is a an amazing story of human, you know, nature and existence. And, and that's probably why it appears in almost all cultures, this the flood story and to being rescued in a flood. And, and so that, there, there was these two different ideas that we had floating out there. And at some point during the post-production of, of uh, 10,000 BC in, in London, actually, we kind of uh, suddenly felt, hey, maybe this is a thing that, you know, maybe 2012 is going to trigger a Noah's Ark scenario. And then that was like, uh, you know, like you're nodding now. Roland was like, uh-huh, yeah, that's really cool. Let's do that. And then it was just about really then the characters. At some point, all these big movies become solely about the characters. Obviously, there's, you know, there's two things. You want to visit some scenarios that you haven't seen before or that you feel like, I would love to see that myself. And then the rest is literally about being in the heads of the people who do all these crazy things or who have to grow into better people while trying to survive or while trying to fix their situation. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned about the filmmaking process and and the business of filmmaking hmm. maybe i haven't learned that lesson yet maybe i still have to learn it i mean there's so many things that you you learn if you would know all these things as a 20 year old you probably wouldn't even dare to to do it like it is really hard Make, making movies is only glamorous for 
a second or two, and then the rest is we work so hard. We work long hours. We, the biggest enemy to all of this are we ourselves. You're, you're, you're sitting there and it's not, it's not happening. You know, the genius idea isn't coming. And, and the best friend is usually a deadline because at some point you just know it's going to be over at that point and I will have to be done. And it's going to be as good as it gets at that point. And then you have to let it go. And what would you pick as a career highlight if you had to point to one thing and say, yeah, that's that's the moment that defines me better than others? A definite career highlight was the morning when we had sent out the script for 2012 to all the major studios all at the same time with this, okay, here is the script. It's going out to the world now. And, and I remember like the night before I said to Roland, well, I mean, what if nobody actually wants it? And it, it, he was like, well, I can't tell you. It's, then it is what it is. And, and, and so I got up in the morning. I went to the, to the gym and locked my phone into the locker room. And I, I was kind of new. Okay, now it was kind of timed that all the studios over their lunch breaks, the, the, the CEOs, it was a big deal to have Roland's next movie out to town. And when I came back from my treadmill and I opened the, the locker room and I picked up my phone and I had a, a message from Roland saying, everybody wants it. And the, the next 24 hours were are, are still to this day like a, a high, like, you know, we were going from one studio to the next and Roland and I in a car where we walked in and they were basically going on their knees and you, you have to work with us. We can do this for you. We will give you all the creative freedom, but just this, this movie has to be at our studio. Okay, great. Uh, now we're going to, to Warner's. Then there was the same thing there and that day probably was was one of the most surreal career days in my whole life and at the end of that day around nine o'clock at night our representatives made a deal with sony on on that same day for 2012 for the movie that was pretty surreal and and crazy for me still to this day and interesting to hear what in the end won it for Sony in that competitive pitch? It was what they actually said. You know, the, the, everybody said to us uh, certain, you know, things about the script and, 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 and this and that. And it was kind of how they understood it. You know, how, what they said back to us, how they saw what, you know, what the movie could be. And, and, and it just felt like, okay, these guys completely want to do the same movie we want to make. And, and you know, if, if the head of a studio is going, oh, yeah, this we should do this project or uh, uh, and we want this, is one thing. But if it was literally the enthusiasm of, of a Amy Pascal and Michael Linton at that point who ran Sony, that we walked out and said, okay, these guys want to make the movie that we wrote while we were driving to other studios amy pascal started calling hey guys we stop turn around 
come with <laughs> it was so endearing too like okay the passion behind it and, and you know it, literally that kind of soul sold it and it's fascinating because i think that what that speaks to is the importance of that creative connection between the suits if you like the studio execs and the creative people and how important that is to creators and i think for people on the business side it's quite hard to appreciate that because you only ever see the outputs like i i only saw the output of 2012 not the the inputs and to actually see what effect an amy pascal or, or michael linton can have in securing great content it's such a hidden component to the whole thing so it's really interesting to hear how that uh, how that operates if you do a movie this is you basically commit two years of your life almost to sometimes more but like the heart like the, the real making from when you know you expand from being a company of five people and then the next week you're like 25 and then the week after you're like 50 and then you grow into this big company overnight at, at, at the height of you know thousands of people sometimes work on a on a film and and, and then you become this huge uh, you know corporation and then you as you go into post-production and then I'm in the moment right now where, oh my God, you know, the, the offices are being emptied da, 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 da. And, and, you know, in two weeks, it's just going to be Roland and, and, and me and uh, our assistants and our, our tiny little team. And, and that was that. Do you have strong feelings about your movies getting a theatrical release or are you a bit more agnostic and it's about reaching a large amount of people you know, we talk about it often from the financial and, and business component, but is there an emotional element that makes you really want to retain that theatrical experience? Well, obviously, we've been making movies that have that in mind a little bit, like, hey, you know, buckle up, bring your popcorn. I I kind of like to do that. And it's I've always you know tried to write stuff or do stuff that I obviously that I would want to see or want to hear or so that that's a little bit in the nature of when Roland and I you know have a dinner or so like hey you know I have an idea or how about this or that it always has a little bit something to do with stuff that you want to see on a bigger screen or maybe in a communal setting I don't think that's going to go away I just think, obviously, there's certain stories that don't need a huge room and a huge screen to be impactful with the, the technology that we can have in our homes these days. And so probably, you know, some, some stories have shifted into our living rooms and, and, and some will always be on a bigger stage. It's just like, you know, you see it in music Life music has never been bigger than it is now. And there was a time when I was, you know, writing songs where concerts were like, people didn't want to do them. You lost money. You basically had to bring money to play and all the, all the money was being made in, in CDs and, and on records. And now it's completely flipped, but the songs have not gone away. The emotions have not gone away and they will always be there. I'm not worried. If, if somebody is a great storyteller, he has a purpose. So this is the part of the podcast where I ask my guests for their lockdown film, book, 
music choice and TV box set. So uh, picking one from each, if we ended up in another lockdown situation, which feels like it's going to be more likely with every day that passes, if you had to pick one of those to keep you company from each of those categories, which which would you choose? I would definitely re-watch the Peter Jackson Beatles documentary about two or three more times. That has been a major revelation for me, you know, and just being unabashedly a fan of something is so great when you just have, can just admire and just all out. I love all of this, no matter what it is. So that's, that's definitely would be my choice, obviously, right now. In music, I have to say, I'm, I'm on a full rediscovery of Bach. I was for 20 years, you know, I, I, I was such a, a declared, I always thought like Mozart is the biggest thing that ever happened to classical music and still is. So that, that uh, was always my, my belief. And now I'm, I'm basically converting a little bit to Bach, no matter where I am, whether I'm in my bed, listening on a headphone or in my car. It's, it's always this, this, this constant awe of this mastermind of the 12 notes that exist where, where it's just like, okay, this is it. This can't be done any better. In, in the lockdown, I also rediscovered uh, Dostoevsky. You know, in the lockdown to read Crime and Punishment, was a masochistic like task of like oh my god the world out there is so depressing and now i'm diving into this utterly <laughs> depressing world of 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 crime and punishment and then where you at some point suddenly find yourself immersed in this literary quality where like every line is like a a jewel of of language and uh, I, I, I would, I would say that right now would be my my choice to to dive deeper into Dostoevsky and a TV box set. Probably, I, I would have to catch up and and fill the blanks in in the Game of Thrones. I have some serious uh, blanks, and I I would definitely do a start to finish recap there with a lot of anticipation and, and, and joy. Well, Howard Closer, thank you so much for being a guest on the pod. Winter is coming, it seems. So Game of Thrones is probably a good, uh, a good one to catch up on. And we'll look out for movies to come in the future and keep an eye out for uh, what's coming up the day after tomorrow and, and all the days to come. All right, my friend. Also, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you, Danny. And also, obviously, I would like to to plug our new movie, Moonfall, with uh, Manchester genius John Bradley playing uh, uh, an amazing, amazingly fun to watch and, and, and de- endearing and emotionally great character. We've talked a bit about the movie in the past, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it as well. So uh, again, for anybody listening, check out Moonfall um, as and when it is released. Thank you. 